0: Well, good morning, good morning, good to see you again. I'm going to invite uh, Brian Lamb to come up. Brian Lamb leads our student ministry here, and these guys had a big weekend. If you, uh, if you aren't aware, we just, uh, we just finished Disciple Now weekend, meaning Brian uh, just finished Disciple Now weekend as the leader. How are you doing, man? Are you tired? I'm pretty good. That's... Okay got the last video done about 2 a.m. last night, but it was good. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, I'm glad you're here and we're on time and ready to go. Um, I thought it'd be good for him just to share a little bit with us about the the weekend, what our students were doing. Just to start with, I was overwhelmed this morning when he told me how many uh, people to expect with t-shirts on in our second service. So give us the rundown. Who all was here? How many folks were here? Who helped out? Well, we we actually have 55 t-shirts,
1: but we've got about 65 total people. So 10 people don't have t-shirts, but uh, we had about 40, 45 to 47 students. Uh, I think maybe a couple of them had work today, but uh, about 45 to 47 students uh, showed up for Disciple Now, which is really, really awesome. We had about 10 to 15 new uh, students come for the first time to Salt Rock, and so the ones that are normal here uh, really did an awesome job inviting. Uh, and then the, the staggering number to me is the fact that we had nine college kids come back who have gone through our ministry to come back and be college leaders, and then we also had 10 Um, small group adult leaders that are there on a regular basis, but they actually showed up, all of them, uh, to teach throughout the weekend, and then we had four host home uh, people as well, and so really the whole body of
0: of Solid Rock made this happen this this weekend, so it was awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you don't know how Disciple Now works, it's for junior high through high school students, and they uh, show up on Friday, and they have host homes, so the students are divided into boys and girls and maybe even different age groups, but they go to different homes for the night, and they do small group conversations and study there, but they come up here for activities and for worship time, and so, um, so they had two different uh, teaching focuses among the students who were here. Um, the, the first group were looking at their identity in Christ, and that was the focus of their conversations for the weekend, so if you could just sum up uh, what you hoped these students took away from that lesson, what would it be? Yeah, on the on the identity one, we really wanted them to have
1: a clear understanding that their identity is in Christ, and that um, as believers, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of of the Creator, and so we don't have to go anywhere else for our identity. But that through Jesus and through the cross, God has given us an identity. Um, he says that we are His, and that's such an important thing for students, teenagers to understand because they have so many things grabbing them Absolutely. for their identity. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, we all remember being junior high and high school and how. Uh, yeah, and how easy it is to find your identity in something else. Um, that's, that's excellent. So the, the, la- the other group was uh, looking at uh, what it means to have a dynamic faith. And so what, what do you hope that those students took away from that?
1: Yeah, these were uh, two of our, of, of our older houses and so we wanted them to be able to grasp uh, that, that as Christians we're going through a process of being made back into the image of God. And so we need the gospel every day. Uh, we need to hear words like grace and hope and forgiveness every day through this process, and so we just kind of showed them some tools that God uses in our lives to shape us and mold us, and so they went through some things like scripture, what is scripture, and, and, and about scripture, and prayer, and how God uses suffering, and how God uses relationships, and even worship um, mm-hmm. through all those things, and so it was, it was awesome. Awesome, man, Yeah, I had a good night last night? Yeah, and then we, we finished, we, we teach six lessons throughout the weekend, and then we finish it with an hour to an hour and a half of, of just a night of worship, and response, and reflection, um, and so that was just really cool, it's just, it was total silence, and uh, until we came in here and started singing, and then it's total silence out, and so it was just really, really intense. Actually, yeah. I so think I heard awesome. a comment
0: that uh, if we as adults could learn to worship like these teenagers, um, man, I'm, I'm excited. They're going to be in the second service, so if you don't have anything going on, feel free to come back, uh, but don't sit up at the front because that's where they're going to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you wearing a t-shirt? Yes. On the weekend, if you don't mind, just show us what the t-shirt. So if you see anybody wearing this t-shirt this morning, they were involved in the weekend, whether it was a student or an adult. Uh, If you have a second, ask more about the weekend or just high-five an adult for giving up their time or their house uh, to this important event. So, Well, thanks, man. Thanks, man. We appreciate all you do. See you, bro. All right. We are ready to dive into Ephesians 4. Um, I had made mention over the last couple weeks about going verse by verse through the Bible, how that forces us into conversations that we otherwise might not have. Places in the Bible that are uncomfortable that we' would just rather off rather avoid and uh, and so just to be honest with you sometimes that happens on a personal level with me, um, not so much that I want to avoid something that you 're struggling with but avoid something that i'm i 'm not good at and so this th- this morning is one of those mornings, just to be honest with you from up front um, as we continue this conversation Paul has in Ephesians 2, explain that we no longer walk as dead men, that we now walk as alive men. We walk into the good works that God has prepared. Chapter 4 begins with, um, I urge you to walk in a, in, a, in a manner worthy of the calling. And now if we just read that one verse without the context, that puts a lot of weight and burden on us that we have to be worthy of all God has done in our lives. Now, that's, that, is, that is part of what Paul is getting to, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Then he explains the calling. Well, I found something beautiful in another letter that Paul wrote uh, to uh, the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians 1, I just wanted to begin with this. It's his prayer for the Thessalonians. He mentions the exact same thing, but look at how he words it here. He says, to this end, we always pray for you. This is 2 Thessalonians 1.11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve. So whose work is the resolve? Ours, but that he would fulfill it for good in every, every work, there's our effort, of faith by his power. So there's this beautiful combination of our effort, our resolve, our work, being empowered by, guided by, and by the Holy Spirit of God, working in us and through us. And so there's no room for us to brag about how good we've been walking, right? The only thing we get to, to, to brag about on, on any level is just really how much we need God to walk at all. And that we humbly participate with what he's doing. He ends this prayer in verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin, uh, or really as we wrap up this conversation of walking by faith, just a reminder that, that you and I don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and become spiritual people. But that we humbly submit ourselves to the work of God in us and we participate in what he's doing by faith believing that he can and he will work good works and good fruit through our lives. And so today we're going to land very practical. Um, It's going to be, like I already shared, convicting, I think, probably for all of us on some level. But I think it's important to remind ourselves that as we pursue good works, we do so in faith. We do so believing God can and will work through us. Ephesians uh, 4, we're going to start this in 22, which was the end of last week's sermon, and read through um, chapter 5, verse 2, and then we'll, then we'll stop and talk about it. So beginning here in verse 22, from last week, we we're to put off, our, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put off... Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fit for the occasion, or as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you chapter 5 therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god what a beautiful and challenging passage of scripture now we're going to go back and start in 22 so our where we ended last week was this commission this This our participation role in taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And we talked about how we participate in that by making Jesus our focus, the focus of our attention and our affections that draws us into our newness, into our new self. Well, this week we're going to go from there now into a more practical conversation. But it begins with that understanding of old self, new self. That's going to frame, actually, the whole rest of this section today. There's an old self, there's a new self. This is what the old self does, this is what the new self does. Here's how you know the difference. I, I need that. I need practical help. This is the old you, this is the new you. So, verse 22, "...to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, it's corrupt through corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds." And to put on the new self. Something I want to point out here is this last phrase. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I hope that verse, if you've been in church for any length of time at all, strikes a chord with you. It sounds familiar to you. Created in God's likeness. Where's he going? All the way back to the beginning, isn't he? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We were created in the likeness of God as image bearers, reflectors of his glory here on earth. Now, what he, it's interesting how the, the fall of man happens when Satan begins to tempt Eve. And her, his temptation to her is that God doesn't want you to be like him. Okay, Now, that's kind of, right? So she would step back and go, wait a second. He created us in his likeness. But then the serpent says something really crafty and says this. God doesn't want you to be able to know good from evil. And that word know means to judge for yourself what is good and what is evil. That was the temptation So so when we understand that we've been created in the image of God, we need to understand we're reflectors of his image. We're image bearers, but we ourselves are not God, right? We don't don't know how to judge what's good from what is evil, but what Paul is saying is that in Christ, everything that was created good in our image bearing role is now being restored in the new self. So then he walks into um, this beautiful explanation of old self, new self in verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, okay, that's the old self. So the old self can be summarized or characterized by falsehood. Matter of fact, most of what's going to flow after this in description of the old self has to do with falsehood, a sense of what is not true, a sense of what is false, reminding us even last week, right? That what corrupts us is a sense of no truth being in our minds. A sense of the void of truth. Vanity is what darkens our understanding and hardens our, our heart. And so here it's being described again as a sense of falsehood. What is false or not true? I want to point that out because of what Jesus told us about um, about the devil in John 8. I just wanna read John 8, 44 to us this morning. A description of the character of Satan here. You are of your father, the devil. He's, Jesus is confronting some people who are boastfully saying they are children of Abraham and that they follow God and honor God with everything they are and Jesus is actually confronting their self-righteousness and the fact that they're more like, they look more like Satan than they do God in their image bearing. And this is how he says it. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in what is true, truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own what? Character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so this idea of the old self is, is, is Paul so... Um, so, so specifically put it in Ephesians 2, that we were, our old self followed the course of this world, right, and the powers the principalities. Speaking of demonic influence, that we were actually image bearers of Satan himself in our deadness because we walked in falsehood, because falsehood represents whose character? Satan's character. And this is an important point for us as Christ followers. This, is, this for me, helped um, understand the purpose of the law and, and help me to fall in love with the law of God. Because I think there's a, there's a process of getting to know the law if you're outside of the church, outside of especially a relationship with Jesus, you're trying to understand the law. It looks like a bunch of do's and don'ts, maybe somewhat arbitrary, um, s- somewhat um, God is the taskmaster, ruling his people with the whip, do this, don't do that. And that's kind of a view we get of God. And so we come into Christ And we find grace for not obeying the law, but then one of our temptations is to dismiss it altogether like it has no value for us anymore. Well, Here's the point I would make. In the same way that falsehood reflects the character of Satan, guess what? The goodness of the law reflects the character of God. We're not to lie because not lying is part of God's character. We're to be good to one another because being good is part of God's character. We're to love one another, to extend grace. All the beautiful commands that we've been given are simply a reflection of his character, describing our image bearing. And so here he starts with, if if you've put on falsehood, you've just put the old self back on, and you're reflecting the character of Satan. So falsehood represents our old self. But then he goes on to say, so therefore having put away the falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth, what is true comes up again, with his neighbor. That's, that's indicative of the new self. If you walk in falsehood, you're participating in the old self. If you're walking in truth, you're participating with the new self. Now, we're not gonna be able to get away from this at all this morning that the renewal of our new self, this being made, as Brian was talking about, being restored back into image bearers of God, is very profoundly and uniquely connected to our community. You can't get away from it. My restoration separated from you isn't really described in the New Testament. When I am being restored, my relationship with you is also being restored. So here he says, he ends this part with this phrase, for we are members of one another, reminding us of our image-bearing role in the context with the backdrop of our community. So this idea that I can go out and pursue Christ and grow in spiritual maturity apart from the church, apart from Christian brotherhood, sisterhood, apart from the family of God, just me and God out here doing it on our own is not a biblical principle. Your spiritual growth, the roots of your spiritual growth need to grow down through community, biblical community. It's why Jesus gave us the church. So now... As he starts this conversation in Colossians three, just a, a, another reminder of this beautiful connection. In Colossians three, Paul says it this way, starting in, in verse nine: Do not lie to one another. There's the falsehood. Okay, don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, you, you, are you beginning to see our old self is 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 portrayed in falsehood? Verse ten, and have and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. After the image of its creator. There again, we have this beautiful understanding. Okay, so um, this letter begins with Paul explaining our salvation. And in chapter 1, Paul is is kind of explaining uh, the beautiful blessings and benefits we have in Christ. Around 13 and 14, he talks about our salvation. How we heard the truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed it. And that was the point when God made us alive, adopted us in, and sealed us with the Holy Spirit for redemption. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us, to empower us, to begin the process of transforming us and restoring this image-bearing role. That's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Now, I didn't uh, didn't really know this until this week studying this. It didn't even come up last year when we were in the Old Testament study. Um, Paul actually quotes the Old Testament here. I didn't know it. I was just looking through my notes this week, and I was like, I, I never noticed that before. Let me go back and see what's, what's being said here. So he's actually quoting a verse from Zechariah 8. Those of you who are in the adult Bible study, you've been a, a week ahead, you may already be aware of that. But, um, but he quotes Zechariah 8. So I went back to see what was being expressed in Zechariah 8 and just saw something beautiful here I wanted to point out. So it's actually 8.16 um, where Paul is quoting when he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's an Old Testament quote. Okay? But the context of it is beautiful because it's actually this beautiful description of the new Jerusalem, the restoration of Jerusalem finally making us think of the end of Revelation, the new Jerusalem descending, and it's been restored. But then there's also this beautiful description of a fasting that's full of joy and no longer mourning or sorrow, but ends with this beautiful snapshot and look, look, uh, look forward Uh, to the Messiah, the Jew who would come and gather nations to himself and they would long just to touch his robe. That's Zechariah 8. And so as Paul is walking through our restoration, I believe he had this on on his mind, this restoration of all things, Jerusalem and and all the nations being gathered. I wanna read just a few verses from Zechariah 8, starting in verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come. Even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall gather or shall go to another, saying, let us go at once and in, to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going, 22, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It's a beautiful prophecy, looking forward to the ministry of Jesus and the restoration of all things. And so as Paul is quoting this speaking truth to one another, we can't can't read this outside of the context of our community. Our new self, our image-bearing self of God, right, is reflected in, in our relationship with one another. It's really consistent with what Jesus taught his disciples. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. So this idea of being an image bearer of God, then it helps us have a visual of what that looks like. It's played out best among the community of Christ. So it's not just me putting on a T-shirt that has a Bible verse on it and a coffee cup with a Bible verse and the bumper sticker. That isn't necessarily what's being expressed in image bearing, where I walk around just quoting scripture. But that my true image-bearing of God will be reflected in my community and my relationship with you. That I no longer walk in falsehood. Instead, I walk in what is, what is true. So now there's going to be three things that Paul's going to mention about our community in our reflection of God in the world. And he's going to get practical on three things. And this is where it gets challenging for us. So the first thing he says in verse 26 is this. Be angry and do not sin. Why? Because that's what the old self used to do, to be angry and then to respond in sin. So he's describing the old self, be angry and do not sin. And So then how do we do that? How do we do that according to the new self when we get angry? We do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's, there's, there's one way we do that. The old self used to get angry and you would, we would stew in it and we would hold on to it and bitterness would, would linger and we would oftentimes keep score, Right, we'd have savings account for different people in our lives and every time that we were offended, we'd put something in there for that day when the conversation came up and we could bring it all back out again. That's how the old self operated. But the new self doesn't let those things linger anymore. Do we still get frustrated with one another? Do we still get angry? Do we still get hurt? Do we still get offended? Yes. But how do we operate as the new self, image bearers of God? We go after it. We hunt it down. We confront it. We don't let the sun go down. Our anger. Now, just some things about anger. I think that typically when we think of anger, we're thinking about these these fits of rage, which is part of it, outbursts of anger. I wanna talk today as we move through these things about the more subtle versions of these because I think we're mostly acquainted with the obvious versions of anger. So I'm gonna hit the less obvious versions of what it means to be angry. First of all, when I get angry, angry, I am indirectly saying some things. One, I'm saying, so if I'm angry about a situation, I'm saying, this situation does not meet my expectations. That's what I'm saying. So I'm angry. What I wanted to happen or thought ought to happen didn't happen, so I'm angry. This traffic isn't moving as fast. My God, where did you get your driver's license? Cereal box? Getting angry because why? The world is not meeting my expectations. There's another thing we're saying is I don't like losing control. I had this, this scenario was in my mind, prepared to go a certain way, and I feel like I'm losing control, and now I'm getting angry. Theologically, here's what we're saying. God, I don't trust you to be just and handle this situation, whether it's traffic or you've been offended by somebody. Our anger communicates something. And on a theological level, if we're getting angry, we're saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to handle this. Now, let me me address some of the more subtle ways that we we let our anger roll out. Avoiding. Okay, Uh, That's one of the the great dangers of having more than one worship service here as a church. Right, If we get hurt by somebody we know really well, we know what service they come to, we, we know how to avoid them. If you've ever been hurt in the church, there's that temptation. I'll just go to a different service. Don't have to see them. Or how about when we spot somebody across Walmart? Uh, Don't we need to go to sporting goods? (laughs) We're looking for butter. It's not in the sporting goods. Avoiding is one of the ways that we play out our anger. It doesn't feel like anger, right? There's another way, silence. Uh, Husbands are good at this. In marriage, we get angry. We just get silent. And somehow, I think we're convincing ourselves that we're not acting out our anger. Do you know that your silence towards a brother or sister or a husband or a wife is a way to act out on your anger? I know what you want from me. I'm not going to give it to you because I'm angry with you. So here's a more subtle version of our anger. and We can let the sun go down on that one oftentimes, can't we? <laughs> this one is... Uh, This one happens in the church world, and it's one of the reasons why some of the non-Christians say they don't want to come to church because we're bad at this one, talking to someone besides the one that we're offended by. Whether it be, hey, I just need to mention a prayer request. No, actually, what you want to do is gossip. Let's just call it that, and then, right? We we just try to disguise it. I, I just need to share something with you that I'm concerned about is it me you're concerned no no no. it's not you it's somebody else I just need to run this by you and so very subtly oftentimes we'll hold on to our anger right and we'll look for ways to justify it and and act it out where it doesn't look like a fit of rage well on the inside we're just still frustrated that we something didn't play out the way we wanted to play out or we lost control or we ultimately didn't trust God in some situation so the next thing he says is this let the thief steal no longer steal so that's what the old self used to do. The old self used to steal. We know that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We used to participate in that. We stole a lot. okay? We stole a lot. So that it was the old self. But rather let him labor, work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's the new self. That's what the new self looks like. Works hard. The old self. Stole The new self works hard. Now, this particular verse was the reason why I went towards the less subtle versions because I hear that and I go, I'm pretty good at not stealing. I mean, I've, I've confessed with you one of the only times in my life that I really legitimately remember stealing when I was younger, and it's, it haunted me for almost 20 years until I could run into that guy and, and, and ask for his forgiveness. Like, I feel like I'm good at not stealing people's stuff. And so the Lord convicted me and said, how about you not go after the obvious stuff? Let's talk about what's in your heart. So here's what stealing says indirectly. (laughs) This situation you've put me in, God, doesn't meet my expectations of what I feel like I deserve. It's what you're saying. I deserve more than this. I deserve that thing. It's saying indirectly, I want to have control. We'll talk about in just a minute a version of that. I want to have control. How many of us have purchased a car that we really didn't need to afford or couldn't afford? So rather than submitting to the situation as it was, you took control. Well, that's not stealing. Yes, it is. I'll tell you why in just a minute. And ultimately saying, God, I don't trust you, once again. I don't trust you for what you've provided. Now let's roll through some less obvious versions of stealing. Implied in this passage directly is just laziness. Laziness. Laziness is a version of stealing. Let me me share with you some examples. Um, Laziness says to everybody else around me, my time is worth more than yours. Why? Because things still have to be done, right? So let's talk about a few examples. Family. If you get lazy, especially parents, in your role with the family, stuff still has to be done. Right? And so, who's going to do it if you don't? In, in my marriage, if I choose to not do something to help out, my wife's awesome. She's going to make sure it gets done. Okay? So, I'm being lazy. Now, she's had to do something that I was supposed to do. I've just stolen from her. I stole time from her. I stole energy from her that she may have needed to decompress and chill out from all the other hard work that she's been doing. And so, I stole from her simply by being lazy. How about if I, go, if I go purchase that car that I can't afford? Who has to put the bill for that? My family does. You see, I, I steal. A couple different ways. One, I take financial resources that, right, should have been allocated for something else, and now they have to go to, to pay for this decision I made because I want to take control. Or I have to go get an extra job, and where does that time come from? Whose bank account? I st- steal again. You see how subtle we can participate in the old self? Um, you know, marriage in general if I'm lazy in my marriage um, and I don't plan dates guess who has to plan them she does she's better at it than I am but right, if I just get lazy and don't do anything at all which I am oftentimes guilty of she's going to pick up the slack and I've just stolen from her by not doing my job my fair share of the work um, how about work itself your job well, I don't steal from work I hope not, but how subtly can we steal from our jobs? Um, Facebook. Um, leaving just a little bit before you said you were going to leave or showing up a little bit later than you said you were going to you know, you're gonna be there. Or the thing, the, probably the most subtle place we steal is what's going on in here because nobody can see what's going on in here. And using what we're thinking on, what we're dwelling on, what we're meditating on, right, for our own good rather than what we're being paid to do. See, stealing can show up in real subtle ways. I'm just going to check my email real quick, and the next thing you know, and you've just stolen 10, 15 minutes from your employer. You got paid to chase after something that you were interested in. So all this to say, stealing can show up in some real subtle ways, can it? But there's a point that Paul's making at here. How about church? We're all family here, right? Okay. Okay. Um, so I uh, am going to commit I'm going to be careful with my words in case you've done this recently. I'm not talking about you. I don't keep track of who doesn't do. But, like, so, um, so, so somebody has to straighten chairs. Somebody has to watch the kiddos. Somebody, like, there are things that have to be done around here just like our household. And, and so I'm talking less about, like, if you sign up to do something and you don't, don't show up. Though that could be a version of it because somebody has to pick up the slack. It's, but how about for those of us who just expect that somebody else does it? It happens a lot in church. How does that work out in your own household? How does the trash get taken out? I don't know. It just gets taken out. Yeah. See, see if that works in your household. How do the dishes get done? Well, I just get done. How do the sheets ever get washed? I'm married to somebody who likes clean sheets. That's how it gets washed in our house. But you get it, right? So there's certain things that just have to be done. And the same is, same is true of Church. And if we're not careful by, by not getting involved in our church families, primarily for members, those who are like committed and like, hey, I'm, I'm here with this church for the long haul. If we're not cautious, we'll steal from other folks. Now, this is primarily who we used to be as a church. Here's the good news. We're becoming the new self as a church. Folks are getting involved and picking up slack to the point where now we can do rotations on serving. People can rotate into certain areas and then have time off. To and we love that's what we're after here. But the only way we get there is by what Paul just said earlier in this chapter: each part doing their work. So, like if we're ever going to become that, we've all got to pitch in on some level, right? Now, again, so thankful where we've grown to, because that's happening more and more. I'm hearing from staff like, I got some new volunteers signed up. I get to give so-and-so a break. I get to give so-and-so or so-and-so has mentioned to me that they really want to work in this area, but they're not going to leave until we find somebody to replace them here, and then God will raise up a leader who says, Hey, I'm interested in serving in this particular area. And it's why when we had this conversation, it's not just about our interests and passions that determine where we serve in the body. It's partially where am I needed. I mean, can you imagine if I went home and just said, I'm just not passionate about doing dishes anymore. I'm just not going to do them. You know what? I'm just not passionate about mowing the grass anymore. It's just not my calling. It's not what I'm gifted to do. How would that work out? (laughs) Not very well. I'm going to need some marriage counseling, right? And the same is true in the church, that we all have this beautiful God-given role, a place to pitch in and work. And And here's the good thing. I don't always like enjoy doing the dishes in our home. Uh, I like when my wife's happy. But in the church, God says this, if we get engaged in the thing he's called us and, and, and pulling us to do and participate in, it's full of joy. There's no greater place to be serving. It'll overshadow what you do for a living in your career even. Like you'll love doing what you're doing when you're in that place that God has called you to in the church. But the primary point he's making here is Generosity. Generosity is the product of hard work and stewardship only. True generosity comes when you've worked really hard and you've supplied more than what you need. In other words, you're not taking everything that you've made for yourself, but you're partitioning some of it saying, I don't need to live off of this. I want to have something available to help those in need. Hard work combined with stewardship Equals generosity. Generosity without good stewardship is wasteful. It's not generosity at all. And it ends up stealing from your family or stealing from something else that you're supposed to be, that you're obligated to give money to. But Paul's point is this. Here's the old self. The old self used to steal a lot. We took things that we thought we deserved. We took time from people. We didn't participate and give where we should have. That's the old self. The new self though works hard, gets involved, rolls up the sleeves and says, where can I serve? Where can I I help other people? Where can I cut what I'm spending on me and my budget so that when I do come across somebody in need, I'm able to help? How many of us have said, I wish I had more money. I want to help more people. Like very few people wouldn't raise their hand on that one. How do we get there? We work hard. We steward well. and And then we participate in our new self, generosity. So Paul says, Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. If we don't work, we, don't help, we, we can't help others. And we're indirectly saying, I am more important than you are. You, you can kind of feel the ouch of this passage, right? I'm just it's wearing me out all week long, especially the next part. So, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And this is, a, this is a very ugly word. Corrupting is, is also used to describe rancid or like rotten fish. Corrupting, rancid talk come out of your mouths. It's the same description we get from uh, Matthew 7 and 12 and Luke 6 where Jesus is quoted talking about out of our hearts comes either goodness or badness. From the good tree bears good fruit, the bad tree bad fruit. It's the same description here. A rancid tr- tree produces Rancid fruit. And so the old self, right, the things that come out of our mouth are rancid, rotten. You think about that, you think about things dying, bringing death. So he says, let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouth, the old self, but only such as as, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's the new self. Exchanging rancid talk for building up talk. A sense that what I am going to say is going to benefit you. Does that mean that we're always cheerleaders? No. Right? Paul, Paul said this, share the truth embodied in love. Right? So that what I'm saying, tempered with love and with grace and humility, will benefit you in some way. If I have to say something hard to you, i want to say it in a way you can grow from it and learn from it not feel attacked by it. If I want to encourage you, I want to look at what's true and not just flatter you with words, but I want to say, here's something I see in your life. Here's good fruit coming out of your life. I want to build you up. Now, we, we play this out practically. Um, in, in James 3, he talks about how the tongue is like a, like a small spark that can spark a forest fire. It's like a rudder on a ship can direct conversations and people and situations right, right or wrong ways. And so just a quote from James 3 um, starting in verse nine, he says, with it, our, our mouth, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the what? Likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curse. Curse, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is making the same point. When you walk around that way, you're, you're actually acting more like the old self walking in falsehood rather than the new self. So just practically speaking, um, have you ever walked away from a situation, whether it be an event or uh, an encounter or just a situation in general, feeling uneasy about the way the conversation went? Um, it, happens, uh, it happens to me um, a lot. I, one of the beautiful things about the way God has gifted me with, with Hallie is that she can't let the sun go down on those things whereas I'm more prone to let the sun go down, give it time, maybe it's just something I ate, let me process, she's more apt to say, no, if we know there's uneasiness, let's go after it make sure that the sun doesn't go down on this and give the devil a foothold, right? And so, so many times I've done this, and if I've done this with you, you're just one of many, um, where I walk away from a situation just kind of uneasy. And then, but then I'll, I'll return to the conversation to say, hey, is everything okay, does everything come across Okay and oftentimes find out there's been an offense that I would have just walked away from. But there have other been times where I felt like, you know what, there was an offense there. I know it. I know what I said was wrong and hurtful, and I go back, and then I find that, wow, there wasn't an offense. Here's the point. We don't know unless we go back, right? Unless we go after it. Um, I try to say this to every person who confronts me on something, whether it's my character, something I did or said, or a misunderstanding. What, if you'll bring that to me, you're bringing me a gift because I'm, I'm prone to not see things like that. And so you're actually giving me a gift when you'll say something hard to me that I may have done or said because it allows me, one, to ask for forgiveness for what I've done, but it also helps correct going forward so I can continue to participate in becoming more and more like God. It's a gift when you bring things to me. It's taken me a long time to get there. Early on in my Christian walk, it was hurtful. I felt like a failure. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to pretend like everything's good. But I'm learning, and through God's grace and, and this awesome wife, I'm learning to go back after things. And to just make sure that there's no room for Satan to to drive a wedge. I think it's that's what the new self does. The new self, when it senses falsehood or senses, Something wasn't right or something was wrong that came out of our mouths. The new self, which we're going to see just a minute, the Holy Spirit, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And that's what that feeling is that of uneasiness. Look at what he says. Verse 30. I believe this is a summary of all that is said. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's no explanation here. I think that explanation is when we steal, when we... Perpetuate anger, when we perpetuate corrupt talk, when we participate in the old self, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Going back to what? Ephesians 1, 13, 14, our salvation. At that moment you were sealed. So when we then, this is a helpful thing for us as Christians, when we're in situations where we feel uneasiness, we feel a sense of conviction, I believe what's happening is the Holy Spirit within us is grieving. Mm. I looked a whole lot more like the old you, Jason, than the new you. And I feel convicted and uneasy. What do I need to do with that? I need to act on it. I need to go after it. I need to continue the process of putting to death the old me. The only way I can do that is go after it and hear things that may hurt for a moment. I've offended you or hurt you or I've done something. I need to hear it so that I can continue to put me to death and continue the process of being transformed into the likeness of God. And so the three practical things he brings up here, anger, stealing, and corrupt talk. Verse 31 and 32 is, again, a summary of the old us and the new us. 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the old you. That's what you're putting away. Verse 32, here's what you're putting on. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ooh, that's heavy. Matthew 18, he just pulled a Jesus on us. How many times do I have to forgive you? I'm tired of you coming back and asking for forgiveness. It's been seven times. Am I done yet? I don't think so. I need to forgive in proportion to the amount of forgiveness I've received. And look at where he ends in 5, one and two. Therefore be imitators of who? God, that's the new self. That's being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's being renewed in the likeness of our creation to imitate God. Be, therefore, an imitator of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Bear the image of God. This is my words. Bear the image of God and imitate the quality of his love to one another. That's, that's the walk in the new self. Bear the image of God by imitating the quality of his love towards one another. Does loving somebody mean that we don't ever have hard conversations? Right? Many of my loving conversations with God the Father are hard conversations. It's out of his love that he has them with me. Okay, so don't just think that it's all Um, You know, butterflies and skipping through green grass and blue skies and birds singing. Like it's sometimes loving people means we go to hard places and have hard conversations. So we bear the image of God by imitating the quality of his love towards one another. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Now it's interesting because this whole section, before we shift to marriage and parenting and working next week, we're going to go practical with the gospel again. um, Ends in verse 20 and 21. He says this giving thanks. This is Ephesians 5, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're doing that, you're giving thanks, then something else happens. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. My vertical relationship with God always affects my horizontal relationship with you, always. And it'll be portrayed in my submitting to you and your needs. Philippians 2, be the last verses I read this morning, 3 and 4 say this. Paul's calling us to walk again in a life worthy of the calling. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse five, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the new mind. We're being renewed in that. To where I'm thinking of you more important than me. Try it in your marriage. Fabulous. Fabulous. You want to see your marriage thrive? Count your spouse as more important than you. His or her interests, his or her desires, try it and see if it doesn't work. It's hard, because why? Because I have to put the death of the old me for that to happen. But it will, it, your marriage will flourish. So let's end here with this challenge. We submit to one another by not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, by considering others more important than ourselves, by not letting the sun go down on our anger, by working hard, why? So that we're not a burden to anybody else, but also so that we might be able to be generous with those who have need. And we submit to one another by living to serve others. This is an important note. Because we have found our joy in the Lord and not in other people's joy. So as we serve one another, keep that in mind. Your joy in serving people isn't in their response to you. It's out of the joy you already have in the Lord Jesus, that moves us to serve. And then this last thing, by giving our words as a gift to build one another up. That's bearing the image of God. It's interesting. If you go look at the Ten Commandments, first four, vertical relationship with God. What are the next six? Horizontal relationship with one another. A lot of these are quoted from this, is, right? Don't steal. Jesus, sum up the law love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second commandment is like it, right? Is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to bear the image of God? To reflect the quality of his love in the world around us. All right. I want to end here. I'm going to invite the worship team and the prayer partners to come up. Um, As they come forward, I want to let you know and, and maybe just remind us all, okay? We expect God's word to do something when we read it, right? We expect it to work on us, work on you. And so every service, we do this because we expect a need to respond to to God's spirit and his word working in us. And so as the worship team comes back up, our prayer partners are down here. I'm going to end in prayer. After I I finish praying though, um, I've asked a couple of the prayer partners to go to the back and a couple to stay up here. Um, here, Here's what I would say to us. Uh, I had somebody uh, say this to me recently, that they felt convicted to, to go have a prayer partner pray for them in a service, but because of their timidity, they didn't act upon it. They were just confessing that to me. And I heard that, it, it broke my heart, but that's true of all of us, right? We're prone to, no, we'll deal with that later. I mean, if we, we've learned anything at all, let's act. And so I would just encourage you, if God is moving in your heart, that, that just try something. Move in faith and just go to a brother or sister and say, hey, here's what God is doing in my life. Would you pray for me? And, and ask for that prayer. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to know how to have a relationship with Jesus, um, we want to share with you how that takes place. And so that's what they're here for as well. So as I, after I get done praying, um, we're gonna have a couple of prayer partners in the back, a couple up front. The band will lead us um, as we continue to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, the, the beauty and the, the rightness of your word. And God, you read us so well. Thank you for hard passages like Ephesians 4 Thank you for leading us into these descriptions of what it means to bear your image, even if it means that we aren't comfortable. Father, this morning, I pray that you would move among us. Your spirit would stir us. You would show us where you're uneasy in our lives that we might respond, God. And in the end, Father, it's about ultimately our trust in you. God, we want to declare that together. We trust you, God. If you call us to move, call us to act, call us to speak, call us to love, we trust you because you are good. So, Father, we give this time to you now in the powerful name of Jesus.